Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women who are unafraid to age out loud. Beauties, is your sex life amazing? Is it healthy and happy, pain-free, shame-free? Some of you may be nodding along thinking, yes, of course. But odds are many of you are thinking, meh, it's non-existent, episodic, just okay. Amazing doesn't even come close. My guest today is the woman who believes your sex life can be amazing, that pleasure is not just a nice to have, but a vital aspect of wellness and health. And she has the tools and know-how to make your sex life sing. Dr. Kelly Kasperson is a urologist, wife, mom, author, sex educator, and host of the top sexual wellness podcast called You Are Not Broken. She joins me today to give us the 411 on midlife intimacy, sexual health, and the science of desire. If you want to reprioritize your sex life and make this the year you can finally say, yes, my sex life is amazing, stick around. This show is for you. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm very excited. Um, We got to connect uh, ages ago when you were in New York and you spoke at the uh, Naomi Watts uh, New Pause Menopause Symposium. And um, when I heard you talk, I thought, I really need to have Kelly on the show. She's got such a sort of a frank, common sense approach to some of the things that uh, can frankly be kind of, you know, taboo. Um, We are going to dive into midlife intimacy. We want to hear about what can get in the way of having an amazing sex life, how we can sort of fine tune our, our own. But I would love to hear the backstory on how a urologist and a surgeon evolved into a sex and intimacy expert. Yeah, it's a good question. I didn't start out this way. <laughs> so I was uh, I was in private practice about seven years. And, you know, the seven-year itch thing is true. Like you get, you get good at your job, you get a little bored, you start having the like, what am I doing with my life? And I had a, actually had a life-changing patient come in and she was crying. And the reason was low libido, sexless marriage. And it kind of brought me back to my training, which was all about penis, erections, Viagra. We thought the gynecologists were handling all the women. And I was also taught that women were complicated and, and we might never understand them. And I like in the midst of like her crying and me being like, that was I, that's what I was told. Is it actually true? Who's taking care of the people who are supposed to be sleeping with the people who were giving the Viagra to, basically? And like I started reading everything I could and going to conferences. And like this little voice in my head was like, you've got to talk. You've got to talk. And it's like, you know, following your future self. Like if you listen, she's going to call you forward, right? Yeah. Of like, why won't this voice shut up? <laughs> like she just, she was there. She was there for like at least six months. I can't remember how long she was there. And um, she's like, you got to talk. You got to talk. And I was like, fine. I'll, like I love podcasts. I'll, I'll start a podcast. And that was three years ago now. A million listens. I just hit. So, and the voice got quiet once I started the podcast. So she was happy. That's, I mean, but, first uh, of all, 1 million downloads is in, an incredible milestone. Congratulations. I I know how hard it is to build, build an audience. And this is something that, to be so proud of. But it, it's also, in some ways, speaks to the, the tsunami of need. Because if you've had a million downloads, there are a million people who've tuned into you to say, you know, I'm struggling. Why are so many women struggling with their sex lives? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, so and I actually got into menopause because of my basically my Instagram followers, right, because they can talk to me a little bit more than podcast listeners can. 
but just kept asking like, yeah, but since menopause, yeah, but since menopause, yeah, well, you know, your sex life ends after menopause. And it was kind of the same thing of like, is that actually true? You know, let's go see, let's go learn about that now. So got NAM certified to be a, you know, menopause expert and started realizing hormones actually aren't scary. We're just scared of them. And kind of merged from like sex into menopause. And now my my podcast kind of goes back and forth between them. And in the New York Times article that came out February 1st about menopause and hormones and all of that, they actually quoted a urologist who's a good friend of mine. So I'm like, yeah, urologists are at the forefront because we're already comfortable talking about sex. We're already comfortable talking about hormones. And then we realized, wait, but nobody's taking care of the women. And if they are, they're not treating the women like we treat the men because we get to see how we treat the men and we don't let men age and suffer like we let what let women age and suffer and so i think urologists are like in the driver's seat because we 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 get the view of all of this you know what that new york times article that you just referenced i read it's absolutely fascinating i'm going to put it in the show notes cuz i think every listener should read it and one of the things i flagged from that article was a quote about how there's a high cultural tolerance for women's suffering Right. Like, that's right. You know, men would not be allowed to suffer for years and years and years, or would not be willing to suffer, would not be allowed to suffer. And so many women um, suffer with their with their sex lives. Um, wh- what is the number one? I mean, there's probably a million things that you've heard in your practice, but it, you mentioned that patient that was crying about low libido in a sexless marriage. Is low libido one of the biggies? What are what are you hearing from your Instagram audience, from your patients about their biggest pain points? Yeah, I think it's two things. I think one is low libido, which is libido is absolutely fascinating. And I love talking about it, which is why I wrote a book because it's not libido to, to understand libido. You need more than like a 15 second Instagram reel. Right. But like we just think it should be like this high desire thing all the time and you should just want sex all the time. And if you don't, then you shouldn't have sex. And that's not actually how it works. So I'd say low libido is number one. And number two would be genital urinary syndrome of menopause, which includes vulvovaginal atrophy, dryness, tightness, tearing with sex, pain with sex, decreased lubrication, decreased arousal, decreased sensation, all due to hormone changes, both estrogen and low testosterone in the vulva and the pelvis. So those those would be number one and two would be desire and then hormone changes in the pelvis that actually affect your quality of the sex you're having. Okay, so you just listed a buffet of things that I, none of us want. <laughs> Dry vagina. Right. Ba- it is like a smorgasbord of like, no, thank you. I don't want any of those things. So, you know, I, I know from, um, I'd love to tackle sort of both of these areas. Libido, I've understood from other experts who've come on the show, is complicated. There's a lot of things that go into desire. Maybe we can sort of start off with, with libido and then talk about some of the um, physical changes that happen with um, with menopause and the change of hormones. So, I've been on your your website. I've seen that you you have um, done uh, podcasts on this. And you've written blogs on this spontaneous versus receptive desire. Can you spell out for our listeners what they are? And and you know, if we're not feeling a wash in you know uh, desire, and we're not tossing our partner into the bed, you know. Uh, why is that not a problem? And, and how can we maybe, um, you know, rev up our engines if we need to? Yeah. Um, so desire really, I, so it was Freud who really called it like 
kind of coined libido, which means like an innate drive that we have, kind of thinking of it like hunger or thirst or even the drive to sleep, right, when we're exhausted. And the thing about sex drive is it's not an innate drive. You're you're not going to die if you don't have sex. The The population might. I mean, probably not at this point. We're up to like 8 billion. But like you're not going to die. Right. And so like for us to view a sex drive like a hunger or something where you're like, why shouldn't you have it? It's part of it's like lots of people don't as we age, as our hormones change and as we get into long term relationships defined by the brain, that's about six to 12 months. So people wow. have, been, have been married for <laughs> 20 years, seven years, whatever it might be, our our novelty wears off, that dopamine, right? And dopamine is actually released in the pursuit of something pleasurable. So I get a dopamine hit thinking about going to the refrigerator to get whatever, the piece of cake left over from the birthday. Me too. Like <laughs> yeah. And so that's when the dopamine is released. That's actually like – and so a couple of things is number one – you don't need any desire to go have amazing, fantastic sex, right? Especially right. if you are like hung up on that, needing that spontaneous. But you're like, well, I kind of know all of his like moves and like how he's going to look and what he's going to do. Like the novelty's worn off. That's not a problem. Um, just go have great sex. And, and you have to have sex worth desiring, right? I think so many people, and this is where I see, you know, like the male sex researchers, like they're, they're so hung up on getting women desire. And I'm like, you're assuming they're having great sex, right? And they're like, oh yeah, we're assuming they're having great sex. And I'm like, don't assume that. So many women are having mediocre sex, like take it or leave it sex. Like if I have an orgasm, great. If I don't, no biggie. I'm just doing this to keep him happy. Sex of like, of course, you're not going to desire that. And then Rosemary Basson was a, a researcher who kind of said, you know, for the f a female lived experience, sometimes her desire happens during sex. Like, oh, now I'm now I'm into it. All right, let's go. Or her desire comes after sex of like, that was so awesome. I forgot how good that was. Can we do that again sometime soon? Will you remind me how good that was? Like her desire for the event happened after the event. That's so and fascinating. So, yeah. Isn't it interesting? And like, for people to be like, what I see so much is people are like, well, I don't have sex because I don't desire it. It's almost like it's not an essential ingredient, right? Now, it can be you can get a new relationship. Not everybody wants to do that. Then you're going to get some novelty. Um, you could increase your testosterone dose. <clears throat> testosterone if of any hormone is associated with desire way more than estrogen is. But some people don't want to do that. And some people's desire isn't associated. It's not directly correlated with testosterone level. Um, but there's actually a lot of things in our lives that will decrease your desire for sex. And that's a busy life. I'm overscheduled. I have an undue burden of home life activities compared to my spouse. Um, I'm not allowed to desire sex. I'm just the receptive one. I'm the one who always says yes, but I've never pursued it. Right? Like there's all these different pieces involved in libido. And so like, again, I can't share all of that in a 15 second soundbite. So it, it doesn't mean like, Desire is not important, but I think it's not as important to a good sex life as people think it is. If you actually read the book um, Magnificent Sex by Peggy Kleinplatz, I always I always bring this up when talking about desire because she interviewed people who like raised their hands to be like, hey, who who would say they've got amazing sex? And these people are like, I have, I have amazing sex. And she's like, what's important? And nobody mentioned desire. It's like not in their top five. So what 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 would be uh, mentioned then? Like I'm curious. Was it just like uh, communication? Okay. Comfort with their bodies, being willing to fail, prioritizing time. 
set aside to have an active sex life. I love that. Okay, Um, Kelly, we're heading into a quick break. But when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about prioritizing time and prioritizing your sex life. At a certain age, we love dry humor, but dry skin, no. Dry skin is one of the most common complaints of women as we age. Why? Because our skin naturally starts to produce less oil and our estrogen levels drop. And less estrogen equals drier skin. At Carrie Grand Skincare, they believe that we don't need more products as we age. We need better ones with natural oil-based ingredients, focusing on health and hydration, not youth and perfection. Carrie Grand is dedicated to giving our skin the nourishment it needs. With a simple three-step ritual, you'll see the difference a few essential products can do. At Carrie Grand, they use only the best organic, naturally-derived, and non-GMO ingredients. This woman-run company is also sustainably conscious and hand-pours all their products in Seattle. Exclusively for a certain age listeners, you can use code KATIE20 at checkout to receive 20% off plus free shipping. That's K-A-T-I-E-2-0. Head to Carrie Grand today. That's K-A-R-I-G-R-A-N. Your thirsty skin will thank you. Kelly, we're back. When we headed into the break, we talked about how to prioritize your sex life. That kind of, you know, registered with me because what you shared is that we're not always sort of a wash in desire. And sometimes I think that if we believe the myth that we need to be to get going, then we just never get busy. And I, I love this notion of, of sort of prioritizing it and maybe getting ourselves as excited about being with our partner as we are, you know, wandering over to the refrigerator and getting ice cream, because that's what <laughs> that's what usually excites me. I, I, I kind of feel like this is um, this is a myth, it sounds like, that that you need to be awash in desire in order to have great sex. And, and one of the things that I noticed about your book that I so appreciated is that you do a lot of myth busting which we, we do here. And one of the myths that, that you shared in the book is that women, you know, quote unquote, take longer to orgasm than men. And um, that that is a myth, that that is not true. So if women are as um, capable as being aroused as men are, why does this myth persist? And why is it important to debunk some myths in order to have a, a healthier sex life? Yeah, it's so important. I th- you know, if you stereotyping we tend to do that when we talk about sex. This doesn't apply to everybody and not all bodies, but a lot of heterosexual couples have very narrow view of what sex is. Sex starts when something goes in the vagina. Sex ends when he ejaculates. Now, not always, but we're, we're narrowing it down. It's called the heteronormative view of sex. And about 30% of women will orgasm by putting something in their vagina. right? And it actually might be more difficult to orgasm that way than versus direct clitoral stimulation. And so add add on top, like, well, it's challenging to have an orgasm. It's hard. It doesn't always happen. Um, it must be difficult. You know, it's just more difficult. Again, going back to my training, right? Like women are difficult. We don't have them understand. And it kind of just then the cognitive barrier to exploring like, oh my gosh, uh, apparently I can orgasm in three minutes if I want to. Maybe I want to figure out, not that we, not that speed is better, but like our bodies can inherently orgasm like penis owners can. But if we don't know that, we might just think like, oh, women just got the short straw. You know, if I get one, it's a bonus, but we don't prioritize it. Yeah, we settle. So, and it reminded settle. me, a little, I think this is such an important notion beyond even sex, because when we fall prey to the myths around 
you know, uh, what it means to be a woman or what it means to be a woman who's getting older, you know, or um, and we, we believe these stories to be true, it gets in the way of um, possibility, right? You know, so if we believe that it's hard to orgasm as a woman, or we believe that that it's something that takes a long time, we are potentially settling for less. Whereas your book clearly debunks this. When women are having direct clitoral stimulation, they can orgasm just as quickly as a guy. So if that's not happening, it's time to maybe assess what's going on in your sex life. So I thought that was such a fascinating myth to debunk. What are some other persistent myths that you hear from your patients, from your podcast listeners that you think really gets in the way of a healthy, happy sex life? Oh, that you need to say yes every time your partner wants to have sex with you. Okay. I think it's incredibly disempowering. Yep. Because you don't have any agency over when your sex happens in your life because you're just responding to somebody else's. And I think a lot of couples get into this of like, well, I don't want them to get grumpy. I don't want to blah, blah, blah. And we use sex as a tool to manipulate our partner's emotions instead of being like, when does this work well for us as a couple? What do I need done to prioritize sex in my life? What do I need to ask for help with? Am I allowed to pursue sex with my partner? You know, what what does what does me asking for it look like? Um, is it safe for me to say no to sex and our relationship still preserved and intact? Like that's what's so great about sex is like it's just an avenue for personal growth. And I love when people get they get to actually see their thoughts and realize beliefs are just thoughts you've thought long enough that you actually think they're facts. And another belief, just how how benign does the belief like I just have low libido? Right. Like it kind of sounds like, oh, poor you, like, you know, maybe a little victimy. But like, if you believe that to be true, you're much less likely to be curious about it, to challenge it, to be like, maybe I don't. What if I didn't? What would me with a, with, you know, a great sex life look like? What would I have to change in my life to prioritize that? So it's like all this personal growth, you know, coaching, fun stuff that comes in when you start challenging those like, Little truthy facts that aren't really, you've just labeled yourself or you've labeled your sex life or even the thought like sex has, sex starts when he wants it and when he puts the penis in the vagina. Then if he's, he's got erectile dysfunction or my, my vagina's dry or, you know, is sore or doesn't have estrogen in it or needs more lube, like the whole thing's broken. Instead of being like sex means communication, sex means pleasure. Yep. Instead of this performance-based, you know, exercise routine that we are involving another human with. Yeah, it's such an important reframe. And I actually wrote something that, down that you said in your book, and you say, quote, a good sex life is up to you. And I thought to myself, this is good and bad news, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I think it's so funny because, like, on the one hand, yes, we do want to be in control of our destiny. And we do want to be able to feel like we have agency over our desire and our sex life. But on the other hand, you know, if we're being honest with ourselves, we need to put the work in, right? You know, we need to make, we, we have to take ownership of our sex life. We have to take ownership over our, 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 our body and how we use it either for ourselves or, you know, in partnership with our partner. So if for somebody who's sitting here thinking, okay, and I know we've talked about libido and I do want to talk about, you know, some of the, what gets in the way, painful sex, dry vagina, et cetera. But if you were to coach sort of broadly our listeners, you know, who might be sitting here sort of thinking to themselves, you know, God, I do really want a better sex life. Um, I'm ready to take ownership over this. How would you recommend they get started? I just be curious, be curious about it, right? Like, and it's sometimes you just start with like, 
what do you what do you think you know about sex or what were you taught about sex right even just uncovering like i was raised that sex was like dirty um women who want it too much are whores or sluts right like so you really like uncover all of this belief system that's become subconscious and drives your day to day right and then be like what might i need to enjoy sex well maybe i need to like go away for a weekend with my partner where I don't have kids and I don't have household chores. And maybe I just need to like have an intensive, right. To right. Be like explore and be allowed to be curious. Um, not everybody can go away for the weekend, but lots of us can, right. If you literally have to get your head out of your house, right. A new environment. And it adds novelty, which is, which is always good for spontaneous yeah. desire. Yep. You, you share that. I love also what you talk about in the book, too. You talk about the concept of masturbation and and um, that this is something that you have learned that not every woman is you know comfortable with for a variety of reasons. There are cultural reasons there are religious re reasons. There are you know, reasons of maybe like lack of experience or or just, um, you know, they haven't tried it yet. But you suggest reframing masturbation more as cultivation, which I thought was really interesting. And I would love it if you could sort of bring our listeners in and explain a little bit more about this concept of cultiva cultivation versus masturbation. Yeah, I think that, you know, if we if we think back to the sex ed that we did get of like, it was female internal organs and reproduction, right? right? So we never got taught about the clitoris, let alone assuming that our possibly male partner who doesn't even own the organ knows anything about it. And so we really have to go back and be like, I didn't learn how to have pleasure. Um, is it, I don't think pleasure is mandated in any state sex ed as of to date. Consent is now mandated in like nine states. So we're getting a little bit better, but if we you just never had these, so I think so many people are like, well, I just don't enjoy sex. It's like, what if you just aren't enjoying the sex that you're having? Yes, exactly. You've never gotten, you've never gotten curious about like, what feels good for you? let alone how to communicate to a partner about that. What do I need? I need lube first. I need to focus on vulvar massage before I can just put something in my vagina so that my pelvis actually knows sexy time is supposed to be happening. <laughs> right? We don't get taught about female arousal at right. all. Like erections are so black and white. Like they're so right. obvious, right? right? But it, it, unless you know what you're looking at, it is, It's you, and you can, but it is a lot more challenging. It's just not in your face of like, is a female pelvis actually ready for penetration? Or is it, is it confused? Is like, is this just a tampon? I don't know. Did you want to be turned on right now? You haven't done a good job of it. Right. And then realizing like the role of vibrators, lube, erotica, whether that's visual or reading it or listening to it, things that get the brain in our aroused context, right? Like it's not our fault that we didn't get any sex education, but it is our fault if we think the sex we're having is all that exists. Like yes. there is, there is like a rainbow of choices and you're having gray sex, right? Of like, it's up to you. Nobody's going to, nobody can come and be like, you know what would really turn you on? Like they're, <laughs> they're probably wrong. You're, you're your own unique, you know, blueprint for this. Yeah. I love that distinction that um, it's, 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 you know, maybe we haven't been, uh, we're not, it's not just sex that's, that's not going well. It's the sex maybe potentially that we're having. And, you know, in fairness, you mentioned in the book too, that men are not given enough information. If we think women are ignorant about our own bodies and our clitoris, like men are even, you know, they know less sometimes. And if, if we are having heteronormative sex, which not everyone's having, people are having sex with women, people are having sex with themselves. It, you know, I mean, it's 
there's there's a wide range of of options. But um, you know, if you're having sex with a male partner, you know, they too don't necessarily know what what turns you on. And you know, your book talks about ways of having those conversations and 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 um, you know, sort of educating yourself so you can help educate your partner. Why is that so key? Because men, if I was just interviewing my friend, she's got a million YouTube followers. She's a urologist too. And the number one viewed video at 27 million views is ways to get the penis bigger. Ooh. <laughs> like that's what, that's what the, again, I'm, I'm gender stereotyping, but sure. that is, they think it's just bigger is better. Bigger is right. better, faster is better, harder is better. Like they're not even in the realm of like what actually turns a woman on. Right. And, it, you know, they've done research to be like, hey, women, how much, how many of you are like happy with your partner's penis size? And women are very happy with it. They're not over here wishing it was any bigger. Bigger is not, <laughs> bigger is not better. Oh my God, but I'm dying. I use that, yeah, I use that to, to illustrate like, they don't know. Of they're course. guessing. You guys are in they the wrong think, ballpark altogether. Yeah. That's yeah, hysterical. They're not close. That's, like you know, I did a YouTube video with her, and it's like not in the, it's it's high up. We've got millions of views, but it's right. not in the top ten. And it's about how to please a woman, you know, why women fake orgasm, stuff like that. But you're like, how to make it bigger, and how to have more semen, a higher <laughs> semen volume. I think is like number two. So like they're way off base. Oh my god, of, of that, what's important for a woman sexually? This is hysterical. Somebody needs to write an article comparing these YouTube, um, you know, down like who who's looking at what, and you can see sort of the mismatch with what's going on maybe with um, men and women in bed. So um, That's right. I don't know if you've had a chance to see the very wonderful Emma Thompson movie Good Night Leo Grand, which I finally got around to watching, and I recommend it to anyone who's listening to the show. It's about Emma Thompson playing. Uh, a widow who had never had an orgasm during her 37 years of marriage, and she hires a uh, a male sex worker to help her. We're not going to talk about hiring sex sex workers as sort of like beyond the scope of this, but you know, I was I was the movie is so wonderful and 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 uh, loving, and um, the 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 actors do such a stunning job with with this very intimate material, and I, I adored this movie. Um, but is that common? You know, is it common for women to spend many years in a marriage and never have had an orgasm? Or was this sort of like a Hollywood thing? You know, how, like, d does it really get that bad? What, what is your take yeah, on that? Yeah, the last data I looked at is like 10% of women have not had an orgasm. And the sex experts think most bodies are capable of orgasming. And what that means is this isn't like a biologic, there's your pelvis is broken sort of thing, but it's, I haven't tried. I don't know how we, again, we're gender stereotyping, but how we are socialized is we defer to the male as the default. And, you know, we give our power away. He didn't give me an orgasm. Like he doesn't know it. He doesn't know how. Sure. Right. And so we give a lot of our power away or we think like, if I asked for that, that means he... You know, I'm going to make that mean that he didn't satisfy me enough with the penis. So it's, we do not learn. Again, this is the sex ed we never got. How to communicate with our sexual partners. Yes. And, right? and then this is the same woman whose husband drags her to my clinic and says there's something wrong with her because she's got low desire. Right. 
You the know, same people. It's like she's she's having the crappy sex to begin with. Of course she of doesn't. Of course she's it. like. By the way, she's very busy, it's a chore. right? Because modern life and like what's happening, you know, in the sheets is not that great. So Kelly, a question for you. We talked about this a little bit at the beginning. You talked about um, you know two of the sort of big issues you hear. One's libido, and one is the smorgasbord buffet of just symptoms that nobody wants, which many people have. Um, you know, uh, dry vagina, painful sex. Um, you know, maybe UTIs. A whole, a whole host of sort of pelvic issues. The very first show I ever recorded, um, my uh, guest was Dr. Anita Sadati, who is a gynecologist. And she said, in her experience, the number one reason that people in her practice, her, 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 you know, her um, patients sort of suffer is because sex is painful. And whenever somebody says, whenever a patient says to her, like, I just don't desire sex anymore, she says, does it hurt? And the answer is yes. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the physical symptoms of what happens during peri and menopause cannot be um, underestimated, you know, in terms of how it impacts your sex life. What do you recommend to, to patients who are suffering physically? See somebody who knows what they're talking about, which is kind of sometimes can be easier said than done. Yeah, and def- so define that for us. What, would, what does that look like? Um, a urologist who's cons- who will either specialize in sex med or sees a lot of female patients because we know how to examine vulvas very well. Um, Gynecologists, ones who are more particular in menopause. Again, not all gynecologists know how to examine vulvas. Um, Our medical education on menopause is so crappy. Of course, referring back to the New York Times article from February 1st. But I would love to just say, oh, go see a doctor. Right. Like you might, you might need to see two or three or, or find an online clinic. Um, that can give you vaginal estrogen. And it's not, the, the answer is not always just vaginal estrogen. You know, it can be tight pelvic floor muscles. You know, it can be other things. Maybe there's a yeast infection going on, right? So somebody who can kind of analyze everything comprehensively, but by and large, we don't know because our, our menopause education is so crappy. We just, I see over and over a woman's like, I didn't go through menopause. Sure you did. And I'm like, sure, <laughs> sure you did. No, I didn't. And I'm like, you're 62. Three, by definition, you've been through menopause. What do you mean when you say you didn't go through menopause? And she says, I didn't have a hot flash. And the hot flashes are really what defines menopause for a lot of people because our education is so crappy. But the point is, we don't realize that estrogen is actually useful for anything. And estrogen is incredibly useful for maintaining moisture, sensation, elasticity, lubrication, all of the things that are really important for sex. And so do you recommend that patients use vaginal estrogen or is this something that can be done 100%. with systemic uh, estrogen or are they, are they different and how so? Yeah, good question. So vaginal estrogen is local. It stays in the pelvis. It's a very low dose. It doesn't go into the bloodstream. You can, if you were to check your estradiol levels with a blood test, it would be neg- negligibly uh, elevated from mm-hmm. vaginal estrogen. Very different than systemic hormone replacement therapy, which is full body, usually delivered with a cream or a patch. Um, And that is still incredibly low dose on magnitudes of order, lower dose than what a birth control is. Sure. Right. So when people are so afraid of hormones, I'm like, you realize how much hormones we're talking about? We're talking about like less than half of what a birth control pill is, which people happily take for 30 years. Right. And a lot of just regular systemic hormone replacement therapy isn't enough 
to deliver to the tissues in the pelvis what it might need. And again, you know, we're not, your pelvis is different than mine. Somebody might need more estrogen. Somebody might need less. Like this one box of like, you just need this dose. Like, well, no, humans are different. You know, you might need more, you might need less. Um, so I see a lot of people who are on systemic estrogen and still need vulvar estrogen because they're still having symptoms. Exactly. Okay. That's, that's good to know. So that, um, you know, find a, a doctor who has got menopause training. Um, I, I believe you can find some of those on the NAMS website, right? Um, yep. Where else would you direct people? I mean, I guess you could hit the Google and figure hit out. Hit the Google. I think another, <laughs> if, if we're specifically talking about pain with sex, I right. would start with a pelvic floor physical therapist. Um, you can go to hermanandwallace.com. That's like a, a very well-known pelvic floor educator of pelvic floor physical therapists because your your physical your pelvic floor physical therapist is going to be able to be like oh you've got a tight hip you've got a tight back you got a tight psoas muscle all these affect pain with sex but they're also tied into the people in the community who do give the vaginal estrogen who do know about you know pain with sex stuff so like if anybody was to go to my pelvic floor physical therapist they know to hook them up with me so that might be a different way of going about it but it it's pretty simple to find a physical therapist who specializes in pelvic floor and then use them as your go-to for where can I get the hormones from. That's a fantastic piece of advice. I haven't heard that yet. And I've recorded 121 shows. You know, maybe people's first stop should be a pelvic floor therapist. I'm going to put all of that information you just shared in the show notes. And if, um, you know, if you are experiencing any of these symptoms, that, that's a great way to get started and a great way to tap into uh, the resources where, which you know, where you could learn what else you might use, like a, a gynecologist or, or um, hormones, etc. Um, your book has so much phenomenal advice. I really um, want everyone to put it on their list. Not, I'm not normally very didactic when I, you know, do this show. Everyone gets, to, we're all grown ups, and everyone gets to make their own choices. But I really feel like this is a must-have bedside resource. There's so much great advice about owning your orgasm, strengthening your pelvic floor. You you walk through all the different sex hormones and really lay out very clearly what they do. You talk about erotica, how to initiate sex, you know, what happens when there's mismatch, you know, mismatch sexual desire and more. It's really a wonderful primer. Uh, we can't cover everything because we're kind of heading into our speed round. But I, I did want to close by asking you something that I ask a lot of my guests, you know, could you have written this book, You Are Not Broken? Could you have launched this podcast, You Are Not Broken, when you were younger? Or did it take getting to midlife to be able to have these conversations and, and, and have a voice on this particular topic? That's the best question ever. Nobody's ever asked me that. I love that. Um, it happened when it, it, it needed to happen when it happened. I wouldn't have known as much as I did. I wouldn't have had enough experience to kind of get upset at the status quo. I wouldn't have talked to enough people to realize this is a legitimate problem and not just like a me problem because I give out vaginal estrogen like 20 times a day in my clinic. And I think also the confidence, you know, like we go our whole lives with people being better experts than we are. And you just, you get to the day, I actually, this is a good story for your podcast listeners. I hadn't done the podcast yet, and I was waiting for somebody to tell me I knew enough to start the podcast. And I'm like, well, this guy, this guy could, he maybe he'll let me know I know enough. He should tell me I can start a podcast. Maybe this person will tell me that I know enough and I should start a podcast. And I was getting out of the shower and like lightning struck my brain and it was like, nobody's coming. You're the expert. 
you are the one who needs to give yourself permission to do this. And by doing it now, now I'm definitely the expert, right? Like I already knew enough then, but like once you do 200 podcasts and have a million downloads and like write a book, now you're like, oh yeah, yeah, no, people, <laughs> people don't know more than me. Um, so you, you just get your, com you know, cause so many people are like, oh, I don't have the confidence. It's like the confidence comes by doing it. Yes, I agree. Yes. The and and that's, that's comes, the secret. I love that. This is such a confidence comes from doing 100%. And we get to midlife and we realize we have to give ourselves permission. You know, no one is coming to save us. We are saving ourselves. And if we want something done, we need to get in action. I could not agree more. I love, love, love the way you uh, sort of synthesize that. Thank you, Kelly. Um, this is the perfect note to end on. We are moving into our speed round, which is a, a really fun, high energy way to end the show. It's just one to two word answers um, to kind of like a bada bing, bada bang series of questions. So let's do this thing. Okay. Let's do it. Writing You Are Not Broken was? It's fun to be done writing a book. <laughs> <laughs> I love an honest answer. Okay. Your brain is your biggest sex organ. Try this to get in the mood. Erotica. Every midlife woman needs this in their bedside drawer. Uh, silicone or oil-based lube. Got it. Okay, great. More women should try this to jumpstart their sex life. Oh, man. So many answers, right? This I is know, be, so this many is, answers. This um, is a good buffet. <laughs> communication, asking for what you want, and one of the newfangled clitoral air pulse suction devices. Ooh, I love it. Okay. Uh, you mentioned one uh, trusted book already, but what is a book or resource for women who really want to learn more about sexual wellness? My book. Yes. All right. That is 100% true, and it's going in the show notes. <laughs> this that's, why I, that's why I wrote it, because I read all the other ones. Okay. And I was like, I was like, okay. You're like, I can do better. I can you do better. You've you got to make it light and funny and fact, but not too science-y where you lose people. Like, I, was, I really was like, I know what's out there, and, I, and there can be a better one. No, you know what? I mean, I've had women come on the show to say they've written books because what they were looking for didn't exist. And this is a phenomenal primer and everyone needs to own it. Okay. This trusted thinker on menopause and hormones needs to be on our radar. Heather Hirsch and Rachel Rubin. Perfect. Okay. Finally, your one word answer to complete the sentence, as I age, I feel. Unstoppable. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you, Kelly. This was so fun and so informative. And I'm, I'm super inspired. I want to make sure our listeners know how to find you, your book, your podcast, and continue to get all of your great, frank, straightforward thinking on creating an amazing sex life. Where should they go? Awesome. Uh, the book's called You Are Not Broken. Stop shooting all over your sex life. That's available on Amazon. I actually did the audio book because podcasters have to do their own audio books. So if you want my voice, you can get that. Um, podcast, anywhere you listen to podcasts, You Are Not Broken. And then I'm most active on Instagram. I love the Instagram community, Kelly Kaspersen MD. And my website's also kellycaspersonmd.com. 
Fantastic. That's all going in the show notes. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women who are aging without apology. Thank you for listening in and being a friend of the show. Before I say goodbye, a quick favor. I would love a written review over on Apple Podcast. Yes, the star ratings help, but written reviews really matter. You can share what you learned, why you tune in, mention a favorite guest, talk about how the show makes you feel. Perhaps A Certain Age makes you feel happier, smarter, more inspired, or simply like you're hanging out with some fun friends. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time, and until then, age boldly, beauties. Beauties.